Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. 11 years. It's been 11 years of the show. I've truly blown my own mind because when I started the show back in 2006, I didn't know how I'd get past eight shows, or a year was like, wow. And here it is, 11 years close to 600 shows. Wow. And you've been with me. Some of you have been with me throughout the year. Some of you have just started and are going to go back into the archives. But thank you, because it's been a lot of time. And this has been a very big passion project and very soulful. And from these 11 years, I've learned more in the 11 years of doing the show in my entire college and graduate school education. It has been insightful. And over the years, I've been fortunate to interview thought leaders and researchers and non-famous ordinary people like myself with an extraordinary life stories to share. And I'm filled with so much gratitude because I've been fortunate for so many of them to return time and time again. And we've been fortunate to be able to hear the wisdom that they had, the stories, the lessons to remind ourselves that of the common humanity, that we're not alone and that there is a way out. And I've been so fortunate to have recurring guest co-hosts where we can really deepen our conversations with knowledge and insight and comfort. And I know you've loved that. And finally, the mini-sodes like today that I've been doing, where I am showing up and being brave and using my voice as well. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being on this journey for the past 11 years. And I invite you, remember, there's an incredible archive of how she really does it. It's there. It's free. It's for you. It's evergreen. And what evergreen means, it's timeless. There are shows in there from 2007 that are going to still benefit where you are in 2017. There may be a little hum. Technology is better. So be patient with that. It's like when I watch an old movie from the 90s and I'm like, wow, it looked a lot different than it does in 2017. And embrace it and go after the content. Go after the nuggets that you can apply in your own life. Go after the nuggets that may be reminders of what you already know, but you've forgotten because in the busyness of our lives. Go after that because your topic that you're interested has been covered close to 600 shows. Yes, it's fantastic. For today's show, I'm going to discuss what I've learned over these past 11 years. And I want to thank you for being a part of this journey with me. It's been an amazing journey. The first one I want to talk about is from my friend and mentor, Dr. Martha Beck. And actually before this show, I had read her book, Finding Your your Own North Star. Fantastic book. And in that book, I learned about limiting beliefs. It's like limiting beliefs. What do you mean? What are these beliefs? Aren't they just facts? And I learned about that. Like these, we have these limiting beliefs that get in our way. And 
when she came onto my show back in 2007, I was so excited. Here's this person that had been so pivotal in my life and she was going to be on my show. Little I didn't know later she'd become my mentor and a friend. And she taught me that we all have our own house and we can come back from it. And I had thought, oh, well, Martha's so smart because she's just lived this very charmed life. So naive and such a fixed mindset at the time. And she set me straight in that show. And she said, no, Corinne, I've been to hell and back. And that's why I can help people. And I invite you to think about your hell and back and how that has made you resilient, how that's made you stronger, how that's opened up opportunities in your own life. We don't need to go looking for our tragedies or traumas. They're going to show up because bad shit does happen. How do you get up from them? And the other thing I learned from Martha, there's many things I've learned, but I've got to talk about a lot of other people too, is the essential self. The essence of who we are the day we are born, and then how we become socialized and we become our social selves. And what we need to do is take off that social self and go back to who we are. And that's really vulnerable. But the essence of who we are, then we can follow our North Star and listen to what is warmer and what is colder so that we can really create a satisfying, fulfilling, and beautiful life that we want to have. The next person is Byron Katie, and she has a very simple yet powerful question. Is it true? Is it really true? Gosh, we love to indulge in the drama. We love to share stories of how we've been wronged. We love to own and hold on to our fears. But is it true? Because the stories we tell ourselves can create the prison walls in our lives. And really, when we can question it, and we can look at our stories and realize that we are not our thoughts. So Byron Katie, thank you so much for that. And then the other thing that she taught me that was fantastic was the three types of business. There's your business, my business. She calls it God's business. I like to call it the universe's business or really the weather's business, because then I don't have to get into religion. And with the weather's business, when it's really hot, people are complaining in my town. It's really hot. Well, of course it's hot. Complaining about it doesn't make it different. We just suffer more. It's hot. So what can we do about it? We can go inside to air conditioning. We can sit in the shade. We can make sure that we're not wearing jeans and a long sleeve shirt when we're outside. We can wear a hat but we create these prison walls in our brain because we get into the weather's business. And as Katie has pointed out, when you're in the weather's or somebody else's business, who's taking care of your business? Because that is a full-time job. And we so neglect our own business. So staying in my own business has been one of the most impactful things in my life that really helped me change the trajectory. Talent. Where does talent come from? Dan Coyle has written the brilliant book of The Talent Code, and he has some other books and another one coming out this fall. But talent, like I got that book and it was it was a book which reinforced what I already believed and there was science behind it. So it was fantastic. I love that. And the three areas of where talent comes from, one is it's not born, it's grown. So that's fantastic news for all of you. If there's a skill set that you don't have, if there's something you're not good at, you can cultivate it. You can become better. 
Okay. And so whether it's a radio show, if you want to become a swimmer, if you want to, you know, be able to do something that you haven't had, it takes deep practice for one. And that allows the myelin sheath in your brain to grow deep practice. That's being deliberate, paying attention, being engaged in your practice. So that's one component is deep practice. The next is ignition, you know, which will motivate deep practice. What are the circumstances that motivate your deep practice? What's the igniting factor? Sometimes we will change our financial circumstances because we were poor and you have a pursuit of, I don't want to have that. Or maybe you really like to get ribbons. And so you're like, Ooh, or maybe the ignition is like, Oh, I want to make this all-star team. And you go and you practice, right? Maybe you go because they are cute boys and speedos. And you say, why would I stop swimming? That was me as a high school swimmer. Ignition. What is the ignition? And then the third component that where talent comes from is master coaching. Someone who knows how to ignite motivation and how to cultivate deep practice and how to hold you accountable and how to challenge you. And masterful coaching, it is an art form. So, so those are the areas. Remember, if anything, talent is created. It is not born. We so want to just give it away and say, oh, well, I wasn't born this way. Or people like to say to my kids, well, of course you're fast. You're motocitis. And that really takes away what they actually created. So it is about the practice. How do you show up? How do you show up? How do you practice? Are you ignited? You get to create your own motivation and masterful coaching. Who are the people in your life that can help support you? Who can challenge you? All right, Carol Dweck, your thoughts can create the results in your life. Hmm. That sounded a bit woo-woo when I was on page six of her mindset book, but she is a Stanford professor held in high regard. So I went further and she, I read her book, had her on several times on my show and really got deeper into this idea that our thoughts are so powerful and what we think, what, and we get to choose what we think. And this idea of a growth and a fixed mindset. Fantastic. And I remember reading the book going, oh no, I'm the bad one. I'm the bad one. I'm the fixed mindset. I don't believe in good and bad anymore because that's really just shame driven. And what she told me was, Corinne, nobody's all growth or all fixed. And really in different arenas, I can be amazingly growth mindset. Like I truly believe anyone can learn how to swim. There's not a person five years old to 86 years old. You can learn how to swim. Even if you've had near drownings, I can teach you. And then I can go into a meeting and maybe say the wrong thing. And all of a sudden I can have fixed mindset. Oh, it's over. It's done. It's so fascinating to listen to my brain and watch it. And then I catch myself and go, oh, that's a fixed mindset, Corinne. <laughs> Let's go back to growth. What can you learn from this? It is all a practice. If you want to cultivate a better mindset, it is a practice. Carol Jolk's work has been fantastic. One thing I came up with myself over the years was I had all these shows and there was a year that I did two shows, two live shows every week, which now looking back, I was crazy, but I didn't know better. And I was really eager and hungry. And so I did back to back shows on Fridays, 10 to 11, and then 11 to 12. That meant I was consuming a ton of information to get prepared. And I am not a fast reader, not at all fast reader. I wish I was, but I'm not. And I would start to get really frustrated with myself because 
for me, I had this belief that I didn't even know about until I was doing these shows where I thought the faster I learned how to do something was correlated to my intelligence. And that was a shame trigger because I would get shut down or I'd get frustrated. I beat myself up and I would create all this drama. And one day I decided, you know what? I really learn stuff. I'm good at learning. I am good at executing. And I made myself a good swimmer. Took me a long time because I had to get out of my own way in my head, but I learned how to do it. And I said, you know what? I'm a slow learner and that is okay. And for me, that belief was freedom because it was, I will learn this. I don't know exactly when, but I will learn it. So all that pressure, instead of like, you must know this and understand this within the next hour came off. It was unnecessary pressure. And I can embrace the fact that I was a slow learner and understood that I can understand things intellectually pretty quickly, but to actually implement it and live it and have it in my bones, it took time. And so I've really embraced over the years of being a slow learner. And that wasn't something that a guest taught me, at least that I can remember. It was something that by doing this show, it was a solution that I came up with because as I would watch myself shut down and as I was watch myself be tough on myself, I realized it wasn't effective for me. And that may have come a bit from compassion and what I learned about from compassion from Kristen Neff, who's at University of Texas, and she's a compassion researcher. And one of the things that she said is that compassion is the biggest motivator for change. Say what? Yes, compassion is the biggest motivator for change. And I really had to think about that. I really had to go, hmm, because my way to change was to be the crap out of myself. That was the tool that I had seen. And I realized that the people that I had drawn into my life were actually very kind people. I wanted to surround myself with people that were compassionate because I didn't know how to be. And so one of the things that I started to deeply practice and was very deliberate with my practice is being compassionate. And by going through that process, I learned that compassionate people have boundaries. Compassion doesn't mean you say yes to everything. Compassion doesn't mean that people walk all over you. Compassionate people have boundaries. Compassion has been huge. It is also the antidote of shame, which I'll be talking about later on. But compassion has been huge in my life, very life-changing. So some of you may remember Peter Walsh. He was on several times, and he's uh, one of uh, Oprah's clutter people, been a columnist in her magazine and on her show, and he had his own show on the own network. And Again, being a slow learner, I think I kept asking him, like, what was a, you know, what was the secret to your success? Even though I don't believe in secrets, but you know, what was the key to your success? And he, I think, probably said this in every episode. It probably took me six to actually hear it, and it was absolutely make a decision, decide absolutely that yes, this is what I'm going to do. Decide, commit to it, totally go for it, be totally all in and then reevaluate every six months. And that is brilliant. I talk a lot about this, whether it's in the newsletter, or I think I've done a mini-sode, and I talk about this daily with my clients about decide, commit, and practice. Decide, commit, and practice. And then you check in. You have to commit for a period of time. If you just do it once, a lot of times all our crap comes with us, 
And so we may not really be present because it's all the stories, as Byron Katie or Martha Beck have said with limiting beliefs. It's all our stories that's showing up with us. So are we really present for the experience? Or are we hiding behind the armor of our stories and the prison walls that we've created with our beliefs? So that's why committing for a period of time. One of the things that we have with the monsters is if you want to try out our team, you can try out and try out for a week. It's three practices. And because the first time you're showing up, you're nervous, you're stressed. Oh my gosh, what to expect. So you may not even be in your own body in that experience. And it takes some time. And typically by three, the kids are like, yeah, I like this. This is awesome. So a lot of times for, you know, other things that we do, I say, Hey, commit for six months or commit for three months. What can you do when my clients are freaking out about online dating? I'm like, okay, how about we just commit for six months? Just commit. This is what you want to do. You want to be in a loving, committed relationship. Just commit. It's going to suck. It's going to be hard. That's okay. Just commit and then reevaluate. Commit. That is the hardest thing to do to commit because then we're vulnerable because there's this voice in the back of our head, that thought of what if this doesn't work out? What if I lose? What if I lose face, right? Losing face was a big thing for me growing up. What if, what if people find out that I'm not good enough, but really commit. I always go back to swimming because it's really been my religion and my church and my Bible is that if you commit to swimming for six months, you will absolutely get better. I'm not saying you're going to be Michael Phelps because that took way more than six months and, and he's a rarity, but you're going to be better for you. So we need to get out of the comparisons of other people and go back to you of when you practice, what will you learn and get better? I used to be, um, I was a land dork. Most swimmers are. And I was very uncoordinated and tall and gangly with long limbs. And my mom wanted me to be coordinated. So she decided to sign me up for ballet. So I did ballet, was never very good at it. But I also had a story that I was not coordinated. Well, as a middle-aged woman, my eye-hand coordination is way better than when I was a teenager in high school or in college. I don't have those stories anymore that, oh, I'm a land dork or I can't catch something. I just allow my body to catch it. And Also, there's been some practice of throwing and catching, and I used to coach water polo, so I learned some more skills with that. So over time with practice, you can get better. And just remember that compassionate people have boundaries. So there's no comparing allowed. And definitely don't compare yourself, whether it's to Michael Phelps or if you're losing weight to Elle McPherson. Those are just losing strategies. Allow yourself to check in and see, are you living aligned with you, with who you want to be, with who you are. Like if you're five feet tall and you're saying, gosh, I wish I was 5'11 like Corinne, that's a lose-lose because your genetic makeup is to be X height, my genetic makeup. Like I was tall and I used to want to be short, so I would slouch. Not great for my back over the years, right? Know who you are, accept the things that you cannot change, and then create with practice what it is that you want to cultivate. So absolutely decide, commit, and then reevaluate every six months. Thank you, Peter Walsh. Reflection. And that's part of that checking in. And this is something else that I learned over the years, whether it's from the show and also from my coaching practice that I do with my clients is the value of reflecting of after you've been through the storm, after you've been through either a great situation or not, you check in and you reflect and maybe even check in with people. Here's the thing. They can't be the critics. They can't be anonymous people. They have to be people who've earned the right to hear your story. So you check in as a swimmer. For those of you that are former swimmers, you'll remember you swim a race 
after the race, you go, well, you're worn down and then you go check in with your coach and they give you feedback. Here's what you did well. Here's what you need to work on the next time. That's what we need to do. It's not about, am I a bad person or am I a good person? Because being a bad person is shame-filled. We don't want that. It's about what can I learn from this to evolve to the next version of myself that is essentially who I am, that may have gotten covered up from my own fears, from my own, you know, the socialization, from needing to fit in, from believing that I wasn't safe and putting up all this armor. Reflection is powerful being with yourself and thinking. And there are times I love to listen to audiobooks or uh, other podcasts, sometimes my own. And, but there are also times when I get in the car and I check in and I go, Ooh, there's a lot of noise in my head and I need to be there with it. I need to unpack it and see what's going on. And maybe there's something I'm trying to um, process of a situation or scenario that I went through. And I reflect. And there are times in my life where I reach out to people who are on my team who've earned the right to hear my story. And I will check in with them and I'll reflect and I'll ask them like, well, what do you think? I know you're going to be honest with me and I know you're going to give me feedback. What am I not seeing? And those are the people that have earned the trust through the years with me. So reflection is really, really important to start thinking and paying attention. And what do you think? I used to be such an approval whore that, and I was like a pollster, I'd go and ask 20 different people what they thought, because I couldn't trust myself. And when I start to go down that road of like, Oh, I better ask them. Oh, I better ask them. I go, wait, what do I think? What do I believe? And then maybe check in with a person or two. The value of reflection. On this show, you hear a lot about worthiness, shame, vulnerability. Brene Brown has been fantastic. When I first read her stuff years ago, I was like, wow. She talked about, she gave me words to what I was trying to understand and what I had experienced. And it was also the, not this quick fix. You know, I always want the quick fix in the fairy godmother. I do. I really do. Or the white knight to come and save me. Though it was recently pointed out to me that I actually want to be my own white knight. But when I'm in those helpless moments, I do want to be a white knight. That would probably be a mini said one day. But Renee gave me the language to realize that this feeling like a fraud, losing face, this belief that I wasn't enough or I would only be enough once I reached X was all about shame and worthiness and that I had used perfection once I'm perfect enough to finally be safe. And I just learned so much from her and been so grateful. And I know her work has really transpired and helped you. And I love when people find Brene through my show. I think that's just fantastic. So thank you for sharing that too. But worthiness, you are worthy right here, right now. Like we need to stop questioning it. We need to stop hustling for it. And we need to just own our worthiness. It does not mean we're not perfect. It does not mean that we're perfect. It does not mean that we don't have flaws because actually the flaws is what makes us real, right? We love when we hear somebody who we may think is perfect and they show us their vulnerability. That's their flaws. This is what's their heartfelt moments. You know, what are the things that they're concerns? We are worthy. And it's time for us to believe in that and then continue to grow and become the best version of ourselves that's already inside of us and to show up in our lives with our family, with our friends, in our work, with our neighbors, 
with the checkout clerk at the grocery store where we really show up in our worthiness. Because here's the thing, shame is highly, highly contagious. It's highly contagious. And it goes down your pant leg across the floor, up somebody else's pant leg around their neck. It is a noose. And one of the things that Jill Bolte-Taylor taught me was you must be responsible for the energy you bring into the space because we can feel emotions. So being responsible from shame or being responsible with with shame, we're going to feel it. It's not going to go away, right? Brene says it's not about being shame uh, uh, resistant. It's about being shame resilient. We're not resistant to shame. We're resilient to it. We're going to fall down. We're going to feel shame and we can move through the swampland. We don't have to avoid and run away from the swampland because there will be swamplands. Yes, there will. Even when you know about shame, there's still swamplands because when we evolve to the next version of ourselves, there's swamplands because you can choose courage or you can choose comfort. But as Brene says, you cannot choose both. So we will feel shame and it's about walking through that swampland and getting ourselves back up. And sometimes, yeah, we need help and we need other people to get ourselves back up. So shame is the voice of I'm not enough. And we can use Byron Katie's. Is that really true? You may not be perfect. We're going to have our flaws, but you are enough. And the importance of vulnerability, because it's the pathway to everything we want. We have to be willing to be vulnerable, to have loss, to be hurt, to love. There was a time in my life when I was in college that I swore I'd never get married nor have kids because there was no way I was going to be vulnerable. I didn't know what that word meant. I didn't even know that there was vulnerable, but I wasn't going to let anyone mess with me. And I wasn't going to care because I didn't want my heart broken. That didn't really last, as you know, because I have four kids and a great husband. But vulnerability and being willing to be in tough situations and in loving relationships where it's not the girl meets the prince and she lives happily ever after. It's like the girl meets the great guy and there's a lot of up and down. And that down is also what strengthens them as a couple. So worthiness, shame, resilience, and the importance of vulnerability. Thank you, Brene. And Jubilty Taylor, thank you for teaching me that we are responsible for the energy we bring into every room. And also that emotions, that feelings really last for like 90 seconds. And they're like waves. They're like sets of waves. And again, if we keep telling ourselves these sad stories and live in the swampland and pitch the tent and build a campfire, we're really good at keeping the waves keep coming in and in and in and the waves of emotions. But if we can use Byron Katie's, is it really true? And if we can catch that and actually start telling ourselves the stories that are true, because most of the time we're telling ourselves a lot of lies. And then love. Love was something I was so afraid of. And then I fell head over heels in love with my husband and then with the kids. But love, it's not sacred. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not, not sacred. It's not scarce. I remember when my youngest daughter came home from the hospital and I was filled with so much guilt and remorse. And I was like, oh my gosh, what have I done? I've loved my other daughter so much. And now I have this other kid. And how can I love her just as much? And I thought it was like limited. There's love is not limited. There's so much of it. And then I had to 
read, learn from Brene Brown, the rather unfortunate thing that I was not too happy with at first, your ability to love yourself is directly correlated to your ability to love others. It's like, what? We were supposed to talk about perfection years ago. And we talked about this because I needed to understand this because I wasn't so good at loving myself. And it is my ongoing practice. It is one of the bravest things that I have to do is to love, to love myself, to meet myself where I am every day and say, that's okay. This is where I am today. And I'm going to move forward. I'm going to get back up and to love myself and to be vulnerable enough to trust loving myself and to check in and own my story where I may not be proud of myself, where I may not be in line with who I want to be or my own integrity. I may be out of alignment and it's time to come back into alignment. Love is such an incredible practice. And then finally, enough. Being enough. You get to decide and cultivate what a satisfying, fulfilling, beautiful life you want and have. And that is something that I've talked about for years on this show is what is success? You get to decide. Society, maybe your parents, maybe some friends have said, this is what success is supposed to look like. This, when you do this, you will be happy. I did that. I had the coveted job. I had that dream and I was like, okay. And everybody would say, well, there's something wrong with you or you're just too entitled because you don't appreciate what you have. It wasn't my version of success. And so for you, you have to go inside of your own self and say, what is success for me? What is a satisfying, fulfilling and beautiful life for me? And how does that incorporate in the life that I'm living currently today? And really check in with that. And the thing, the beautiful thing is some of you are really great at making, maybe making a hard right turn. I'm not so much. I'm a slow learner. So I kind of, and I'm cautious and I take some steps. The thing is, is that when I look at 11 years or the last 15 years of my life, where I once was, especially 15 years ago and where I am today, very, very different places. And they were a series of small steps that got me here. And part of it was there was this yearning, there was this hunger inside for something more. And I didn't know where I was going. And as Martin Luther King will say, it's about taking the first step because I did not know 15 years ago, that was 2002, that in 2017, I'd be sitting here talking to you. I had no idea, but I was pretty down in 2002 and it was pretty darn hard. So it's that taking those small steps, I often say small hinges can move big doors. Don't discount the small steps. Don't think that when you fall down, that it's over. That's a fixed mindset. You can get back up. Know who the people are in your life who've earned the right to hear your story. And know what enough is in your life. Knowing that you're enough and what's enough. What's enough money? What's enough stuff? What's enough food? Enough. You are enough right here. And create enough in your life. That is what I've learned in these last 11 years. And there's so much more, but those are the fundamental principles that I live on a daily basis. And some of those things I take out, maybe not every day. I kind of talk about it like being kitchen tools that you may use some of it every day. And there's some, maybe some tools that you use, you know, once a week or twice a week. 
but those are the principles that I live throughout my life, and they have made a huge difference in my life. I'm tremendously grateful for the show. I'm tremendously grateful for you and the emails while I can't answer them all. I love reading them. And this has been quite the journey of 11 years of the show and where we've gone and where we're going. And I'm just so excited. So I really want to thank you for being a part of this on how she really does it. The place where inspiration and possibility meet. I'm smiling big for you. All right. For those of you that are here and remembered at the beginning of the show that I had um, an announcement, I just want to remind you that I'm going to be opening up a group coaching program called Enough. It's really on my mind. And I haven't done a group in a long time, but the I have a huge waiting list for my practice and I wanted to create something where people had a little bit more access. So group coaching program, you can go to the show notes to sign up to be the first to know. And I'm going to be sending out information this weekend to those people first before I announce it any further. All right. Thanks so much. She is dreaming. She is drifting. Never been so wide awake.